Welcome to episode seven of the Category Mistake. I'm your host, Richard Mariello, and today we're going to talk about two different things, I guess. We're going to talk about emotions and movies. So growing up, I used to watch a lot of movies, which I've said before in the past, and the movies brought out emotions in me that I thought were normal, but later on I realized that not everyone feels the same way I do. A couple of the movies that really stood out to me for emotional are things like Star Wars. Um, Star Wars, it's a sci-fi movie. To me, it's more of a drama, romance. Um, It's more of a drama. I mean, if you think about it, you know, you have a princess who was an orphan adopted, a boy who was adopted, parents died, no one knows what's going on. You have them trying to rebel against evilness and dictatorship and grr, you know, that sounds like a Steven Spielberg movie, you know. And then you have, in the middle of the movie, you find out that the evil empire is actually, you know, the one in charge of the evil empire, the, the villain of the movie is actually the orphan's real father. And it just gets weirder and weirder. So for the first episode four, five, and six, those three... It's really about a family who was separated, and one of the family members, the father, was lost. He had lost his way, lost his path. And in the end, his son brings him back and helps him realize what family is all about and what love and compassion is all about. Then we get the prequels, which so many people don't like, and maybe because it's, as a lot of people say, it's a Jar Jar factor or whatever else. But really, even in the first three movies, it's it's about an orphan boy. Well, not orphan boy. He has his mother, no father, saved from slavery, brought into the world, was told he was too old, he wasn't sure enough, we're not going to teach him, oh, I'm going to teach him. That mentor dies. The younger mentor has to take over. And we all know what's going to happen. If you've seen 4 and 6, you know what's going to happen. And you're like, The drama, the intrigue, how is this going to work? And then the second movie, you have, you know, war starting and you have clones and you have a dictator getting his power slowly but surely taking over and having the grasp over the people. And the people don't even know that he's in power. They just realize this guy's going to save us like Caesar, like Caesar, you know, they gave him emergency power and he never let it go. And then by the third movie, you see our, we know to be villain, in love, having children. Before he even has kids, he he just loses it and turns himself to the evil side and thinks he kills his wife and the kids die and his best friend and slash mentor turns his back on him, even though he doesn't. He gets horribly disfigured, but he's saved and all that left is hatred. And then, of course, seven, eight, nine, you've got a new, you know, abandoned child in a desert who has to work her way to eat, who is a scrappy go-getter who just needs someone to have faith in her. And she flies, and of course, who does she find? She finds someone from the the original four, five, six, Han Solo, who kind of tells her that, hey, 
you've got some guts, kids, and hey, come with me, and we're going to save the world. And she's like, I can't. I have to go back. My parents are looking for me. She never goes back. She never goes back to her planet. She joins the Rebel Alliance. She starts to fight the bad guys. And she realizes that she has this thing called the Force, which is like a magical power, right? But by the end of 789, she realizes that she realizes that her grandfather is like the evil of evil guys. He's like the biggest, baddest, ugliest dude on the planet. And he's been manipulating this stuff the whole time. Now, that doesn't sound like sci-fi to me. Now, what makes it sci-fi is her spaceships and laser swords. Okay. But the rest of it is just a drama showing human emotion. Because human emotion is, is crazy. Most of us struggle with emotion. Okay, I struggle with emotion. I'm assuming some people out there struggle with emotion. And we struggle because... We don't know if what we're feeling is right, for one. Two, we learn by watching the people around us and say our father or mother wasn't good at emotion, then of course we're going to be either as good as them or we're going to try to do the opposite of whatever they did, which means either be too emotional or not emotional enough. In my case, my father was not emotional, um, not at all. And my mother, she's, she's angry emotional. Which means she basically deals with everything by yelling. That's just how she deals with things. It's like, she can be proud of you yelling at you. She can be upset with you yelling at you. She could be sad yelling. Everything is just is just her way of dealing with it. She gets frustrated. She gets angry. She gets upset. I love my parents, but they were not good emotional role models for me. And then I look and I think to myself, okay, so what did I do? At first I said, oh, I'm not going to be like them. I'm pretty much like them, except I don't yell a lot. Um, but I don't know how to make sense of what I'm feeling inside and I don't know how to express it well. I don't know if anyone else has that struggle, but um, I have a struggle with watching say watching a movie and I'm emotional at TV shows and movies I'm emotional at real life things like when my daughter told me she was pregnant I was emotional but she said this the other day I didn't give her a hug I didn't show emotion but I was emotional inside I was emotional but I didn't express it which is a struggle I think I've had a real hard time with learning how to express and I'm in my 40s and I don't know how to express my emotions correctly I think I am. I think I'm doing it correctly. But then the people around me are like, well, no, we don't know how you feel about this because you haven't really shown anything. And I'm going to myself, but I, but I felt emotional. I, I feel it. What are you talking about? And then it just goes on from there. So the first movie I was emotional at was Star Wars. Um, let's see. The first Star Wars, I would say, it wasn't even episode four. It was episode five when Han... When Leia says, I love you, and Han says, you know, gotcha. And at that moment, I knew Han was supposed to die. And of course, he didn't die. But in my mind, I'm going, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? And it just drew me in. And then when Luke 
you know, he didn't say, Luke, I am your father. He says, no, I am your father. But when he says this, Darth Vader to Luke, I literally go, oh, I lost it. Because if I haven't said it enough here, I have issues with my father and abandonment. And even though he didn't abandon me, but I feel it. And at that time, I was really ripe in the middle of um, my dad and I having issues with our, our dynamic. Um, and I'm still dealing with that, but I've kind of just grown past it. And I kind of understand that he has to be him and I have to be me. And that doesn't always work. And I get that now. But at the time, I was like, oh my gosh, Luke has daddy issues too. Yes, I'm not strange. I'm not different. And then Return of the Jedi came and Leia's his sister. And I'm like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. And then Luke brings Anakin back from being Vader to Anakin. And, and he says, you know, I love you. And I basically he says, you know, thank you. You saved me. Because it looks like if I take off the mask, you're going to die. I'm going to die anyway. Let me look at you with my own eyes. And, and I thought to myself, okay, I can build my relationship back with my father. I can do this. And I saw the movie with my father, which at the time didn't happen very often. But we actually waited in line for like 12 hours back in the 80s overnight-ish to see the movie. And it was great. It was like amazing. Um, but that movie really made me think, okay, I'm not weird. Someone else in this movie is conflicted about his parents and really sad and trying to figure out what's best for him in his world. Because Luke was a lost person who wanted to do great things but had no idea how he was going to do it. And until a robot shows up and says, hey, uh, we need to find this guy. And Luke goes and finds Ben Kenobi. And Ben's like, oh, yeah, Luke, how you doing? I knew your dad. Um, until all that happened, Luke was just thinking, I'm going to be a moisture farmer for the rest of my life. Again, it's a drama. Sci-fi is just, I don't know. Take away all the laser swords. It's, 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 not, it's closer to Hamlet than, you know, Flash Gordon. But growing up, I, I, movies were the, and TV shows were the thing that helped me deal with my emotions. MASH, from happy to sad to everything in between. Um, shows like that, which had a comic aspect, but also dealt with real life. Um, it just really, they, they all touched me. And like the episode of MASH where Henry dies the episode of MASH where Radar goes home, the last episode when Hawkeye loses his mind because of PTSD. Um, I'm talking, I was like 10 years old, 8 years old when these came out, and they still touched me. I can watch those episodes today and they still touch me like they did when I was 8 and 10 years old because it was human emotion, but it was set up to where there was a little bit of laughter. Um... Another movie that really touched me was Beaches, which is weird. I know it's it's a very curly type movie, as people will tell me a lot. But again, it Beaches about friends who, for forty years, hang out. You know, don't see each other, see each other, don't see each other, see each other. Go through marriages, divorces, kids, no kids. Broadway movies, lawyers, all the nine yards, and in the end, when push comes to shove. 
they're there for each other. I didn't have that. And I don't know if I still have that now. Um, I was really bad at making friends. And I think I still am today. Um, I don't know if any one of you guys have these problems. But I, before high school, I had, I would say, um, zero friends. Uh, I had people I talked to. I had people I did stupid things with, but they weren't my friends. Um, I probably haven't talked to any of them since the 1990s. In high school, I had friends. Um, I had probably one or two, and I talked to them once in a while. I mean, I consider them closer to my family than my friends. Um, And then in my adult life, I've had probably two or three friends. Um, And I think it's mostly on me. Say 99% of it's on me. And it's not because I'm angry or mean or horrible friend. It's I have a hard time opening up about what I'm really feeling. Um, I've been married for 27 years as of 2021, and I still have a hard time opening up emotionally to my wife. And I don't know why. It's it's not that I'm worried, oh my God, she's going to hate me. It's just I feel like I'm going to lose control if I do. And I think that's my biggest struggle is I'm afraid to lose control. Um, I'm really good at compartmentalizing or making everything work. I'm really bad at just letting it go. I'm really bad at just letting myself express and feel the way I want to. And it's really a good thing if you're in a war zone or in a critical situation where you need to process things and not think about them and just do. Um, it really, this this really helped me when I was deployed. It, it allowed me to look at ridiculous situations and just get through it. But it doesn't work like this in real life. People really want to know how you feel sometimes. Mostly people love you. Right now I'm struggling emotionally because... Um, I've screwed up a bunch and um, not I've screwed up on my marriage. Of course, everyone has. Um, and I'm working without my wife and I've been working with that forever. And I think I probably will till the day I die. Um, but now what I'm struggling with is the emotional baggage. The emotional baggage of my children. Um. I have eight children. I've said this a few times in different podcasts. And all of them are so different. But right now there is one, one of my daughters, who earlier this year, late last year, earlier this year, um, made me feel like I failed her. Um she told me that, in no uncertain terms, that I emotionally manipulated her by kind of helping her too much. I didn't, I didn't let her breathe. I was always trying to be involved and trying. I was always willing to help, even when I wasn't being asked. And 
growing up, I, I, I didn't have parents who were like that. And I didn't have parents who were available to help. So I wanted to be the parent that if I could be there, I was there. Now, I helped out with financial aid forms of college. Um, I helped out with things for her wedding. I helped out with things like that. Um, when she got into a car accident with our other daughter and her husband, I drove to Pennsylvania to pick them up from Maine. And where they were, it's like a 12-hour drive. I just dropped everything, got in the car, and picked them up. And... I think that's okay. I think that's not what she's talking about. What she's talking about is I was acting like I wanted to be involved in how she raised her kids and how she was married and how she dealt with things. And I didn't think I was doing that, but she did. So it doesn't matter what I think I was doing. If she says she was feeling that, then I guess that's what I was doing. So now the challenge is right now is she's not a big fan. Um, I really haven't talked to her at this time, about eight months, really, almost nine months. We've talked like once or twice, um, but nothing. It's more I've talked to her husband than her. And it's because I don't know how to talk to her without losing it. Um, she was a child that the world told us not to have. She was a child that, um, if we would have listened to all the quote-unquote experts, wouldn't be here. We didn't listen, and she's here. And because of that, I think I treat her differently. Because of that, when things like this happen, it hurts so much. But how do I tell her that? And that's where I struggle with emotions. Now, I could email her and say, hey, watch this movie. This is how I feel. That would be great. She's not wired like me like that, though. She can't watch a movie and feel what I feel. I'm really good at words and speaking when it's not to people in my family. If I had to go in front of a crowd and do a speech on something, I could do it. No notes, drop of the hat, just do it. No problem. Easy peasy. If I had to teach a class in front of a bunch of 7th or 8th graders on the Gettysburg Address, no problem. Civil War, no problem. Got it. Drop of the hat. Talking to my family is exhausting. And it's exhausting because... I care what the crowd thinks. I care what my students think. But I'll get new students. There'll be another crowd. This is the only family I got. And I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to lose them over something I say. The problem is my mouth gets in the way because I also sometimes just say what I think. And that rubs people the wrong way. Now, sometimes you're like, oh, that's great. I love it. And, but most of the time, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing because it's not needed. I don't need to be saying everything that's on my mind. I should be better at holding my tongue. I'm not. And with this, I lose control. 
Because that is one of the only emotions that come out. When I'm frustrated or angry and I tell my family or anybody how I feel, it doesn't come off like I'm up, like I'm sad or happy. It comes off as I'm angry or frustrated. So those other emotions, the only ones that really come out when they do come out are the ones that are negative or can be looked at as negative. I also realize that I can't look people in the eye when I'm emotional, which gives people feelings that I'm not being trustworthy or honest because that's how we deal with things. So looking them in the eye and expressing how I feel doesn't go well. Now going back to the movie aspect or the TV show of this, there's been shows all over the place that have dealt with people having, you know, emotional struggles. I mean, the good place you have, you know, an ethics guy who only thinks about ethics and doesn't think about anything else. And you have the protagonist of the show and she is just a hot mess. And, you know, her whole concept is, you know, she doesn't know how she got here and she lived her life. Go get them. And by the end of it, she's learned ethics and kind of tamed her speak what she feels without thinking about it. And the ethics guy has learned emotions and learned how to express himself where he never had before. And it made me kind of sad when the show ended because they got their ending and only took, well, in the show was four years, but it took like 800 years of the show's life. And I'm thinking, I'm 47 right now. And I haven't figured it out. How long is this going to take? Um, because I talk to other people and they've got all this stuff in a row. They know what they're doing. It's great. And I'm going, I can't tell you my emotions without losing my mind. Like, like if I expressed to my wife or to my students, mostly my students right now, because my wife is still here, but like last year I left my school and when I left, I cried, but my students didn't see it. I wrote a note basically, you know, I love teaching your kids and da, 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 da. But I didn't tell them how much they meant to me because I didn't want to lose control in front of them. I've always been worried about losing control. I'm kind of like the Hulk in that way, except for a big green monster, I turn into a blubbering mess, right? You know, maybe... Maybe I need to hulk out with emotions, but I'm also worried because if I hulk out with emotions, I don't know if I can shut them back off. Um, again, going with movies because that's all I ever watched, you know, growing up. But there's a part in a Marvel movie where a Hulk basically says, you know, I'm worried that if I turn back to the Hulk, I'll never be able to switch back to Banner again. And that's how I feel is when I'm getting emotional, I'm like, what happens if I can't shut this off? And that's always been a worry of mine. Um, emotions are crazy. Like I said in the beginning, there's 34,000 of them. You know, 34,000 according to some, you know, smart dude with lots of time in his hand. Um, but I was looking at 34,000 and I'm going to myself, you know, one... How'd they figure that out? <laughs> and two, um, wow. But 
they have this beautiful color code, yeah, like color wheel, and it's got all the different ones from serenity to acceptance to apprehension to vigilance to rage to loathing to grief. And I'm thinking to myself, I feel all those. But when I was looking at this in positive psychology, the one thing it doesn't, maybe you guys can find something, it doesn't tell you how to express these emotions. It just tells you what they are. Why can't we just get something where it says like, hey, if you're feeling like this, act like this. Because it will say, well, if you're in the, if you're having a protection feeling, usually that's withdrawal and retreat. It usually comes from fear or terror, but it doesn't say what you're acting like. It just says that you run away, which doesn't make sense for protection, but whatever. Um, destruction, elimination of a barrier, activated by anger and rage. You can't destroy things if you're happy. I mean, isn't that what the whole gender reveal force fires things have been going on? You know, people gender reveal because they're happy and things get burnt to the ground, or is that maybe this is just me? Once I looked at this, I thought to myself, I don't know how to even comprehend this. So on this positive psychology, they actually have, you know, 12 basic emotions. And then I go to these 12 basic and I'm still going to myself, this is too many. I don't know if I can figure out 12. And then after that, they have four. And I'm like, okay, I can do with four. I can deal with four. Four, four works. And for right now, what I'm thinking is maybe I'll just work on trying to make those four work. And then I'll maybe I'll go to 12. I don't think I'll ever get to 34,000. In this time that I'm working on these four, I can think to myself, okay, from those four, I go to the 12. So the 12 are really easy, you know, not really easy, but they're the ones that most of us understand, you know, love, guilt, delight, curiosity. I didn't know that was an emotion, but I guess it is. Awe, despair, shame, disappointment, outrage. Um, these are all different ones that we all kind of deal with. And I can, I, I think I can do that. In the end, you know, we all have things we have to do every day to survive. My job of surviving is coming to grips with my weaknesses and doing all I can to make those weaknesses, not strengths, but weaknesses bearable or livable. If I'm having a hard time doing something, Figure out how to contemplate and deal with it to a point where it doesn't drag me down a place I can't get back from. Because what happens normally with me is I get so over-emotional, I shut down, I stop um, caring about doing the positive things that I've been working on in my life. I stop pushing myself to be better and I kind of get in a funk, a depression, I guess you can say depression, where I'll make it work, I don't really care, whatever, uh, you know, that whole stupid, that we all put it, that inner voice we all have where it basically says, you know, whatever, the problem is that most of us with that inner voice, we're like, okay, tomorrow's a new day, we'll get going, 
it takes me a while to get out of that. I put on a good front. I'm, I'm all nice and happy and helping elders and doing all that stuff. But I'm doing it because I think that's what's expected of me. I'm not doing it and doing it in love and doing it in good faith. I'm doing it because I have to. Um, and I want to stop doing things because I have to. I want to do things because I want to. I want to do things because I enjoy it. I'm tired of doing things because I have to do it. You know, the world we live in today, do we really want to keep pushing ourselves to do things we don't want to do because we feel like we have to? Where no one gets joy out of it, but we have to do it. I mean, really, is that really the point? Is that what we're going to do? Is like, well, you know, I got to help this person out because, you know, I'm supposed to and that's the right thing to do. How about you just want to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do? And you take joy in it. You know, when I help out at a kids' church thing or I help out at a church or a charity event or or I help out a person, you know, who can't open up their phone or their email and they don't know how to print off something from their phone, I should find that, find joy in that. Now, sometimes I do. But sometimes I, I'm like, Just stop touching your phone. You're screwing it up. But anyway, I digress. So we're going to be moving to a new ser- server type platform. Um, so a lot of you are going to get notifications saying that, hey, we're, we're still going to be on Spotify and all that stuff. It's just some other site is hosting my podcast. So hopefully this makes it a little easier for everybody. Um, just leave any comments, likes, whatever you want to do. Um, again, thank you for all that's listening. Um, any revenue I make for this, I'm actually giving to Compassion International. I, my wife and I went on a trip this year to Brazil. Yes, during COVID, we went to Brazil and, uh, we drove through a little village in the middle of nowhere. And when we got home late this summer, there was a marriage conference and they had compassion children. And one of the villages we drove through, there was a little girl from that village. And we saw the village. We saw how destroyed. It was just anyone in America would be like, oh, my God, how can someone live there? Well, they do. Um, and so we picked her. And so all the revenue I get for this, I'm actually going to send to her. Um, she just had a birthday today, September 26th. And she's seven. Her name is Samira. And all I'm really hoping for is this podcast can change her life. And if it changes her life, then you know what? It was worth it because it's helping me too. It's helping me understand and kind of talk myself through this stuff. It's really fascinating what goes through your brain when you just sit and talk with no one else around to a microphone and all you do is hear yourself talk and you hear every motorcycle in the background and every car and whenever the dog moves, you hear all of it and you're thinking, oh my God, so much background noise. Oh my God. You know, it's, it's amazing because you sit through it and you have to not only talk, try to keep yourself on topic, which I'm horrible at if you haven't noticed so far, but also you, 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 you talk yourself through things that maybe, which is what I said in the beginning, maybe helps you become better. Um, a lot of this is because I was talking my family's ear off about things in my mind. 
and trying to process it. And they didn't want to hear it. They said, let other people hear it. So that's what I'm doing. I'm letting other people hear it. Um, so thank you all for listening, for subscribing. It's been amazing. And I'll talk to you all next time. This has been Richard Mariello and the Category Mistake.